What's up my fellow Scruffy looking nerf herders and welcome to the Carbonite Chat. Today I'm going to be reviewing the Solo movie. I'm going to start off trying to be fairly, uh, fairly spoiler free. So in case, I know a few people wanted to wait for my review on whether or not to watch it. For the most part the movie doesn't even really have anything to spoil. There's really only two moments that I think are really even spoiler warnings and one I knew of before the movie happened and I'm sure you probably do too. It's a cameo. But before I get into that, I'll do the non-spoiler part and then get to just basically going through the entire movie. For the first, if you're going to this movie, there's gonna be, it's interesting in that there's gonna be you liking it. Whether or not you like this movie is going to tell me or anyone that really knows what you go to Star Wars movies for. Because it's it's got the action-adventure side of a Star Wars movie. And if you're wanting to just turn off your brain, sit down and watch a kind of fast-paced movie with a lot of action that has a lot of stuff going on, um, and then also in some sense doesn't, but you're going to enjoy this. It, it, it would not surprise me to hear a lot of people that's only seen this movie once say that they enjoyed it. You don't want to think too deeply into it. Uh, if you this movie is not one that's gonna, you know, the adventure side of a new hope, where you can dig into it and it just you, it keeps getting better with every viewing. This one it's gonna start to break down a little bit. You're gonna start to recognize that there's some flaws in this and there's some things that just really don't pay off as well. If you are on the downside of Disney, but not to the point of boycotting, then this movie benefits from low expectations. The fact that I didn't walk out of the movie absolutely horribly mad was a benefit to the movie because the last movie I saw, it, I did. So it was a benefit there. It's basically, though, the, the big issue is... I'm not going to try to act like I can see every time that the directors, that there's the two different directors. There are some obvious moments. Uh, well, not say obvious, but the opening, you can tell that that was a Ron Howard scene. That was very much with the opening action set that we kind of had was very much a Ron Howard thing. And there was some moments that I can kind of bet on were probably Lord and Miller. I'm not going to go like other reviewers that basically just say anytime there's a funny moment, that was Lord and Miller, and anytime there wasn't a funny moment, then it was Ron Howard. But there are some specific moments, particularly on a scene towards the end of the second act, where there's kind of this rebellion going on, that definitely seemed more Lord and Miller than Ron Howard. But I think the biggest thing that you can notice with two different directors is the acting with both Lando and Han. Now, to get to the kind of meat of the question, first off, Lando, I thought, was really good. The first scene that we meet him in, I thought he was incredible. I thought, I, I was I was shocked, honestly, because if you looked at what I said prior to the, uh, with the trailers coming out, I didn't think he was gonna be that spectacular. I was kind of let down. Everyone was going on and on about how great he was gonna be, and I was saying, yeah, I'm not sold on him. And as I said, if he changed in the movie, I would admit it. And he did. Now for the Han thing. I've heard a lot of the same things being said, and I think I kind of figured it out. Is 
Alden Ehrenreich Han Solo? No. If you don't, if you are just as anti as you can be about him, then you're going to hate it. If you're, let me see how it's going to go, you're going to be like most everyone, which is going to be till about the point he meets Lando, then you're going to start to just be into it. And you're going to be okay with what goes on from that point forward. And here's why. And here's why I say he's not Han Solo. Because if you ever see him by himself or with a character that we don't know Han hangs out with prior, that we've seen Han and Chewie together or Han and Lando together, when he's not with them, that's when you don't buy him. But when he's with them, you do. And I think it's because your mind tricks itself. It says, nah, this is, this is, you know, I, when I see Chewie and I see somebody back talking with him, that's Han. And then with Lando, the same thing. And both Lando and Chewie do it so well that you just buy into Han in those scenes. And not that it's like he's terrible and if you just didn't look at him that, you know, if you didn't look at Chewie and Lando, you'd be like, wow, this is so terrible. But it helps you accept it more. Some of the things that aren't, are really not Han Solo, it allows you to accept them because you just accept the scenario that you're in, which is why at the beginning... Everyone's like, yeah, he was kind of rough at the beginning. And that's because you see him with Kira, and then you see him at war. Two things we've never seen of him before, really, Han. I mean, we saw him a little bit in battle at uh, on Endor. But outside of that, we've not really seen him in war as, like, you know, from the original trilogy. So when we see this, and we see him in this battle scenario, it doesn't fit. And also, the cinematography... I love Bradford Young. Arrival was great. I thought Selma outside of one or two shots was very brilliantly done. Most Violent Year, very well done. I did not think the tone, the the color, the darkness that they went for, that he went for in this movie fit the tone of the movie. The movie was more upbeat. And I say that because Mim Bam uh, particularly had kind of a bluish tint to it. There was this fog. It really wasn't clear as much to see so much of what was going on. And it did not, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit Han. Uh, it didn't fit to me this movie. But there were some great shots by him. And he's a talented person. And he tried to use practical effects. And for the most part, if you just look at it by a picture, you're like, that, that works well. But it doesn't work for this movie in my mind. But Han, once he kind of meets up with Chewbacca, that meetup is really good in my mind. They work really well together. And then once he gets with Lando and he sits down and they start to play Sabacc, that's when you start to feel like, okay, that's you just kind of forget a little bit. Now again, some people are not going to forget. And then some people are going to say he's amazing. And I can kind of understand both. And that's where I kind of come in in the middle. That I think he's he's passable. I think he's a talented actor. I think it's unfortunate that happened to him that they had to switch directors, and it probably messed up his ability to hone into playing solo. And that may be a part of his up and down caricature. But I believe that ultimately, that what it really is is that when he's with other people and not focused on, you say, "Oh, that's that's Han, that's Chewie, that's Lando. I get this." But when it's just him or Tim and Kira, 
You're like, that's not Han in love. That's not Han trying. And you can say, oh yeah, he's only 19 here. And you know, later he's 29. I don't, I don't buy into that. You, it's the same thing that they tried to play with the loop thing. And I'll get into that a little bit later with some of how it doesn't quite hold up. But ultimately that's my feelings on Han without getting too far into kind of like spoilers or what's going on. The casting I thought was 50-50. <laughs> uh, okay, I will say 75-25. The biggest issue I have is, I mean, it's hard to sit there and watch it and not think Anthony and Gruber would have been a better choice. But in all honesty, Han does not take away from the movie. Or Alden Ehrenreich does not take away from the movie. I think the writing was one of the lowest things. Lando was a great hire. Uh, Woody Harrelson plays Woody Harrelson. If you like Woody Harrelson being Woody Harrelson, you're going to like probably most of his characterization. Thandie Newton as Val was really good. Uh, Rio Durant, it's the alien with four arms. He at first bothered me with having John Favreau's voice, but after a little bit, I kind of was okay with it. And then L3 was horrible. <laughs> I despise that character. It was so bad. It was, it didn't fit with what was going on with the movie. It was a side thing. It was harping on, it was, it was if you hated Canto Bite and you hate, well, now I won't say that. L3's, she was just terrible. I can't say much more without spoiling, probably. Uh, I did not enjoy that character. There was one moment that I found humorous, a conversation between her and uh, Kira. And then speaking of Kira, Amelia Clark is a terrible actress. <laughs> She's awful. She got lucky being able to be in Game of Thrones. And they basically try to hide her acting ability. And so she's gotten some big movies like Terminator and now this. And she can't act. She is awful. Um, just all it is. She, she is terrible. To end kind of my non-spoilery kind of thoughts on the movie. I don't know where to place it. If you're boycotting boycott um wait until it comes out in january there's not really anything spoilery that's gonna like ruin the fact that you waited um and i think it would be i think you could consider it a a good netflix movie like the fact that people love the netflix tv shows that marvel puts out because they're on netflix and they didn't just pay a bunch of money to go watch it in the theaters is essentially the same as how this movie is. It's more like the Indiana Jones Chronicles in that the movie doesn't flow real well at points and because it's trying to tell you, here's the, here's how this happened. Here's how this happened. Here's Han on Corellia for a little while. Here's Han with the Emperor Empire for a little while. Here's Han's first job. Here's Han's first time flying. Here's Han, you know, what you know is going to happen, but it just... It feels like it was more like a series of TV episodes that were put into it. So you just imagine, you know, Jessica Jones or, you know, one of the Daredevil or some of those Netflix things, how it's a, you know, eight hour TV Netflix series. That's what you're waiting for. And if you wait till December or January when it comes out on Netflix, you're probably going to be like, oh, that was enjoyable because 
if you want to accept into it and buy into it, it's very easy to do so. But once you start to dig a little bit deeper, think about some of the stuff that happens, there's a problem. The one other thing that I will kind of give praise to the movie for is its humor. I thought this was some of the best humor. It's not a f hilariously funny movie, so don't take me wrong on that. But I think it could have been funnier if, again, the tone of the visuals would have been adjusted a little bit and brightened the movie up a little bit. It would have allowed you to feel like things are a little bit happier as opposed to the constant darks that was just the practical lighting and the shadows constantly left in that was trying to play this noir where it didn't really feel like a noir for most of the movie. And so I think that the humor was Star Wars humor. And I think that comes to Lawrence Kasdan's writing. He gets Star Wars humor. I think really Empire Strikes Back is one of the funnier movies out of the whole. Which is funny because everyone talks about it being so dark because of the themes that it deals with. But there's so many little moments because Kasdan is really brilliant at putting humorous moments in the conversations and fitting the characters and back and forth in comments that work really well. And this movie did that well. It did not have the Last Jedi crap humor of sight gags here and there just to try to make two-year-olds laugh. Instead, it had the adventure to excite kids, which is what Star Wars is about. It's action adventure, not action comedy. And it didn't have this Marvel humor, which is, it didn't have to, in the middle of an action scene, have to have quick jokes, humorous, like, quips constantly, which is what Force Awakens really tried to do. And that was a problem. But it had, when there's action scenes, when there's serious moments, it for the most part allowed it to be serious. It kept its tone when it was between humor or serious. And I really appreciated that. And there was some legitimately funny Star Wars moments, like humor for Star Wars in this movie. And I appreciate that. As far as my opinion, if you're on the fence, if you just want to go watch an enjoyable film, you can be entertained. This is not a horrible movie. This is not a bad movie for me. I place it above the prequels. I don't like, I need to watch it some, I need to wait to be able to watch it again to really judge whether or not I place it above Revenge of the Sith or not. It's, it's kind of even with those. I do not like the prequels. So if you really like the prequels, you're going to probably change, you're not going to agree with me on that. Um, but it definitely, I, I don't know, it's hard to judge. It's very middle of the road is my feelings on it. And now I'll get into the spoiler thing. Starting off with the movie, it tries to do basically this Disney-esque version of The Crawl. Basically perfect Disney of we want to not, we want to pretend like we're not copying anything. We want to do our own thing, so we're not going to do The Crawl. But we're going to put text in space to explain what happens before the movie starts. Where it's like, we're just going to do a lesser version to try to act like we're not doing, you know, to separate it. To show that we're different from them. And it was just stupid. Just have the crawl, man. Why can't you have the crawl? Because here's what needs to happen. The crawl should have been here so that we didn't have this first bit of the movie. Because this first bit of the movie is pointless. It does nothing. It wastes time, and it could have been passed off and never been shown because it, it does nothing. You meet Fagin, 
or also known in this movie as Lady Proxima because all she is, all this is, is Oliver Twist. If you read Oliver Twist, this is solo Oliver Twist Act 1 where he's in this place and he's got to do these things to be able to be protected and have food and then he has to go see Fagin which is Lady Proxima who kind of oversees everything. My question is why did she have to have a normal voice? Moloch, which is the person that kind of captures Han and brings him in, is speaking an alien language, which for those of you who don't like, who have hated that there hasn't been a lot of aliens, there's a lot more aliens in this movie than there's been in prior movies. But why did she have to have her, you know, stupid old lady voice that just kind of, I don't like the character to begin with. It just felt weird to me the entire time. Like, why is she doing that? And then the other thing that kind of bothered me with this is they find he has the coaxium, which is like the running thing throughout. Apparently fuel is, they're going to hammer down fuel in this whole Disney thing. Everything's going to be about fuel from now on. We're going to learn that, you know, fuel's what wars are fought over and all this stuff. But anyways, they first get it and Kira says, oh, this is worth five to six hundred credits. Okay. Then later, when she's talking to the woman, she's like, it's worth 800 or more credits for sure. And then at the end of the movie, it's basically the same size. There is a little crystal inside of it as opposed to the other one, but it seems basically close to the same. And then when he goes to the end and hands in, he goes, this should be worth about 10,000 credits. Why is this worth? It just seemed like it just, it was worth whatever they needed it to be worth at the time. And then like when there was a whole bunch of them, there were 60 million credits. But I'm not counting them all to figure out if the math pays off. Maybe I missed something here. I very clearly could have missed something there. But that kind of bothered me a little bit. And then you have her doing her little, you know, shaking thing where she's just kind of poking up with her stupid voice that could have, should have just been an alien, just like Moloch was. And then Han's talking to her and he pulls out a rock and goes, and she's like, you know, she's like, clearly that's a rock. And clearly you, you, you just made the noise with your mouth. Why did no one shoot them? They were about to shoot him until he says, I've got a grenade and holds it up. She can clearly see it's a rock. She says it's a rock. She says he just did that with his mouth, but yet no one does anything. I mean, I get that this is Star Wars and little things get by and that's one of those things that Han's just kind of always lucky he tries these crazy things and ends up pulling them off I get it so I probably need to but I was like in the moment it's mainly just that whole scene it should have just it all should have been gone so then he runs off and you have the Ron Howard getting to have his car kind of thing happen which I it was okay there's nothing memorable there's nothing special you get to see the dice which the dice like it's just like, oh, there's dice that are constantly shown throughout the movie, but there's nothing to them at all. It's just like, oh, here's the dice again. Up, oh, here's the dice again. Up, oh, here's the dice again. Like, I get it. There's dice. Like, why are you show? Like, why? So they're running off, and it does nothing, but it sets up that Han cares for Kira, and that's going to be his motivation for the movie, even though he finds her almost immediately afterwards, so it kind of kills that motivation, so it has to reset up another motivation that doesn't really pay off, and there's nothing, like, like I said, you can't think too deep about the movie. This movie is completely, completely at the, you know, surface level. There, there's not much deeper to this at all. 
So he begins to kind of go off and he tries to do this move. And this is one of the other things that it sets up that later on he's going to try to repeat this with the Millennium Falcon, but it works out. We didn't need to see this here. And then further proof that we didn't need to see this, they try to get away and Han ends up joining. He joins in with everyone to the, the Empire. Man, I just went completely mind blank there. He joins in with the Empire to be able to... Basically, he wants to become a pilot and try to get back so that he can rescue Kira. I don't want to just follow the story, but I want to try to break down the important points, so I may skip over stuff. But then you have the worst moment in the entire... Probably in the entire movie. And that's... They give him the name Solo because he doesn't know anyone. It was just like, oh man, why? Why can't his name just be Han Solo? Why did you have to have that moment with the worst delivery ever? Like it wasn't even done well. It wasn't even done. It wasn't written well. It was a terrible idea written terribly. It was just awful. And then it basically cuts to him on Membam in the middle of the war. That's what it should have been. That's where it should have started. It should have, you should have had, it's just, if they could have just, if there's something that could have existed where you could have had these paragraphs that explained, you know, kind of some information that you need to have an idea of prior so that it could set up the story so that you didn't have to see that, uh, you know, something like, you know, paragraphs running through space. I don't know. If they could have had something like that, that would have been really nice. Because we wouldn't have had to see that crap. But even without that, it jumps forward after he meets with Beckett and them. And he explains everything that happened. He explains, I need to get back to find this girl. I was trying to get away. We grew up together. And I got away, but she didn't. And I got to get back there. Okay, that's his motivation. That's going to be killed like 10 seconds later. But that's his motivation. He tells us. Everything that happens on Vandar 1, on that planet, he tells us everything that happened in Act 1. He tells it to Val and Beckett. So why do we need to see it? Why? I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. It should have just started out in this moment. And everything's going on. It kind of looks cool. Again, I don't like the color. The problem with the Dark Knight is it was so great. And everyone chalked it up to nothing but darkness. And so everyone has tried to go dark. And now the cinematographers have all just started to just, oh, let's just turn everything down. Let's turn the saturation down. Let's make it darker. Let's play with the oranges a bit. Or, you know, let's set the fog playing with some little blue tints here and there. But let's, you know, let's make it dark and grimy. And that'll make the movie better because Dark Knight was dark. Hence dark night and that was the only reason it was good it wasn't because incredible writing incredible pacing great acting and a great story that that doesn't have anything to do we need to just make sure things look darker and that bothers me because again it just does not fit what's going on but then he sees people going on my one big issue with beckett is the the spinning he shoots and he has to spin the guns every time shoot it's like if you would have let that be the only time it happened so that it, like, it kind of catches your eye and it says, hey, we need to focus on this character. That would have been good screen direction. Would have been like, hey, point, here's what's going on. See the guy spinning? Boom, let's look at it. 
but it just it was endless throughout the entire movie he's constantly spinning everything it's like oh my god i get it you can spin something that's so stupid <sighs> so then han sees him and he's like oh this guy looks cool let me come over here and see what's happening they have a little conversation the back and forth is pretty good they have some little you know, why did you have to have these comments thrown into the conversation? It was clearly like, oh, by the way, this is the Star Wars universe. Look, we said words, you know. But then they end up going and everything works out. So Han's trying to follow them and trying to talk to Beckett about, like, hey, who are you? What's going on? You know, let me follow with you. And they're like, no, nah, you stick to being a soldier. And Han realizes something's going on. So he's following them. But then all of a sudden he just stops following them, even though he wants to leave to go with them. He just stops following them and just kind of joins in with this group where another lieutenant's talking about their plan. And this is only here so that Han can kind of voice his complaints about the Empire. It's just like, oh, here's, here's where you were going. Take a little step over here and say, oh, I don't like this. We're the people, we're the Empires. We're the people that's hostile to what's going on on this planet. Okay, you're always trouble, Han Solo. How, how come you have to be trouble? That you dang Han Solo, and then everyone leaves, and then he walks back to going to Beckett them. It was like, why was this here? Oh, we gotta know that Han's trouble. There's a lot of that, where it's almost like fourth wall break. Like, oh, by the way, this, and I'll, I'll get to them more as we go forward. But he starts to talk to Beckett. And Beckett's doing his Brad Pitt impression, which is, if you don't know, Brad Pitt in every movie where he tries to play like the cool guys is always just constantly eating because it makes you look cooler when you're doing something because it's like, I'm so cool, huh? While things are going on, I'm just going to be eating because I'm so relaxed and calm. And we kind of get the feel of their group, which I like. And then he calls over, Han tries to blackmail him to get in. And... This is kind of key for what happens later, because when I first saw it, I was like, that doesn't make any sense, because later, spoilers already, obviously, Beckett, for no shock to anyone in the world, ends up betraying Han. Well, when he betrays Han, Han knew he was going to betray him, and says, hey, you know, you said people are, you know, people are predictable. So are you. And I was like, how is, he's not done, how is this predictable? We haven't seen, but then I kind of remembered that, Actually, he did kind of like quickly betray Han. Not really betray Han, but because Han like kind of challenged him. He was like, all right, I'll turn you in and let you die. I don't care. And so maybe that's the only thing that could be there that could say it. But the big thing that happens here is he gets taken to the Beast, which to no one's surprise, the second he said the Beast, I was like, oh, it's Chewie. This movie is incredibly predictable, by the way. If you're wanting to be shocked or surprised, um... It's not that. And that's not terribly bad because I did enjoy this scene. Question, they said Tag and Bink was going to be in this. I don't remember directly seeing them, but my question for bringing that up here is, are those two stormtroopers them? Because they were kind of funny a little bit. Like, you know, one of them was yelling down. I was like, kill them slower. And again, that was fitting humor. It was too kind of oddball stormtroopers that were overseeing this. Needless to say, he's thrown down there. The beast walks in and it's Chewie, which is interesting because clearly Chewie eats humans, <laughs> which I kind of like the fact that that happens. But they start fighting. It was weird how long they had Han doing the talking Shrewook or however you say it, Shrewook, 
yeah, I'm not going to keep trying to repeatedly say it improperly. Speak Wookie. It just, it went on a little long. And that was one of those that I felt maybe could have been the Lord Miller thing. I don't see that being something that, How or you know, Ron Howard's like, drag this on longer. But then again, he did do the Grinch. So, who knows. But I liked it. I like this, you know, it's not how they met in Legends, but it's all right. Um, it was an enjoyable scene for the most part. It really started to bond them together, even though not like directly immediately like their best buds, but it kind of built a camaraderie in how they got together. And again, this is where it begins to get better for Han because he does well because Chewie does really well. The new actor, Jonas or whatever his name is. And he does better with other people around. And this begins it. Han, then they had one scene right after this that was kind of bothered me. Like, why did, it's not bothering me, it's not a big issue, but it's like, why did you have to have the shower scene? Why was that there? It just, it was like, oh, this needs to be here because this will be funny. But it, was, it just, it didn't fit in the moments of what was, whatever, that's nitpicky. Uh, I did like Rio there where he was talking about like, have you, you've never had such a good sleep as when you've like, you know, laid in the lap of a Wookiee. As I said, Rio kind of built, built on me as time went on. Um, of course he dies fairly quickly and we'll get to that. Um, so then we get to them on Vandar 1, the snow planet, and they're about to do the train heist. And I like Val's character in that she's trying to challenge Han. Ironically, Beck is the one that says never trust anyone. He's the one preaching it over and over. Never trust, never trust, never trust. But yet he trusts Han and Val doesn't. There's a lot of little things like that where it's like, it doesn't really fit what you're saying about the character here. You're just, you're telling me, oh, Beckett's the guy that's never going to trust anybody. But he's the most trusting person I've seen in this movie, minus Han, which I, that's one of the things that bothers me that we'll get to. But Val doesn't trust. What I would have preferred for Han's motivation in this movie would have been trying to please and make Beckett happy to be able to join with his group and stay with his group because the cure thing doesn't work they don't work together the love thing just falls flat it's the worst it's just terrible it doesn't ever work ever ever <laughs> Kira Amelia Clark's a terrible actress and them two together have zero chemistry and it just, it doesn't, you never, you're like, oh, let's get back to the other stuff the whole time that this is here. All the, you know, bisexual, pansexual crap with Lando. Like, I was almost trying to be like, yeah, let's just go that route. Because at least they're interesting to see together. And Kira and Omar, obviously I didn't want that because it would screw up a prior can. It just wouldn't work. It's messing with characters. Fortunately, they didn't do that route. Uh, John Kasdan was just trying to get some Twitter followers by saying that, you know, Lando's pansexual and if you look at his like later tweets it's like oh he's he would you know sleep with Twilex or Twilix like yeah okay that you know you're but you're trying to you're just trying to play to that card to get more followers when without ever doing anything I don't like John Caston he got lucky because his dad's a talented writer and so he got brought in to write even though he's not very good at writing at all Going forward, and if you want to disagree with that, look at any of his prior other movies and tell me which one of them are really good routing. Because you can't. Because he's, you know, 
it's his dad. And so he gets to write because his dad was a writer. So the motivation, instead of trying to get to Kira, because immediately he's trying to find Kira. That's the immediate motivation we get. And then, oh, there she is immediately after this scene. And then it's like, oh, well, now I want to get away with her. But she's telling you the entire time I'm not going away. Beckett's telling you the entire time that you're not, that she's not going away. There's never any hints that she gives that she's going to go away with you. So it just, it's like, oh, yeah, he's an idiot. Han's stupid. <laughs> because he just constantly, th like, it would have been better if he would have been like, you know, if you want to play this love story, play it, but have him trying to prove himself to Beckett the entire time. And then, while also saying, hey, why won't you come with us? Kira, you can come with our group. Like, hey, remember, I was going to save you. You're here. Okay, now I want to. Why won't you come with me? Let's live these adventures. Let's do these things. You can still have the love interest. You don't even have to kill it. But for the motivation, it just looks stupid. And what would work is if you didn't kill off Val here. And Val was constantly there not wanting him around. Or even Beckett. Because Beckett was like, I don't know, it was just weird. It didn't seem to work. Val didn't trust him, but Beckett's the one saying, no, you don't trust anyone. So the train heist, though, I thought was very well shot. I thought it was very interesting for the most part. Um, the choreography of it I thought was really cool. The fact that they used the train and then there's a ship trying to get over top. I thought all of those pieces were done fairly well. You get to see some of Han and Chewie working together, again, building up the camaraderie thought Rio was fairly interesting and funny again as a pilot as things were going on then the Cloud Rider gang showed up I was okay with it I liked it I despised her theme motif whatever you want to call it it just did not fit at all and again I complained about the music for the trailers that were played and I had some idiots making dumb comments down below um, which I'll just ignore because what's the point of talking to them and responding? But I said, you know, if the music's different in this movie, I'll comment. And for the most part, I did like the music. I thought he incorporated some of the old themes and adjusted them a little bit, and it worked well. I thought he was desperately trying to create emotion where it wasn't really working, but that's not his fault. They relied too much on the score to try to make emotion. I would say about 70% of it was pretty good. I think it was better than Rogue One, at least on initial viewing. Um, but for Michael Giacchino, that was not his fault. He only had a very small amount of time. He is very talented. Um, he only had a very small amount of time to put that score together because of issues with reshoots and stuff. So I can't blame him for that, but just to give my feelings on it. It was the best of the non-John Williams scores, but this score, Infant's Nest score, was awful. Didn't fit, didn't play out, didn't work. It was bad. Every time it came on, I was like, oh, why is that sound here? Which also works when, which is the same thing that happens when we go to Dryden Voss Yacht and in the club, that song that was being played, it was just like, oh, please turn it off. Turn it off, please stop. Those are my complaints about the music, and I will now move forward. But the editing, the pacing, the way things happened, I liked. I thought it set up Infant's Nest fairly well. 
Um, I just, they should have done it in a way that Val didn't have to die. I think her distrust of Han would have done the movie well moving forward. And I think she, you could have let her die um, on Kessel instead. And that would have done more. The other issue is she dies and Rio dies. And there's no emotional effect to the movie at all. This is what I mean by surface level. There's nothing to it. They die. Beckett yells no. And then we're just off to the races and it's never brought up again. There's never anything to it. Anymore. Beckett's cool from that point on. It's like, whatever. The next emotional point is that Han's going to join in with him. And again, you don't feel it. But John Powell sure trying to bring on those emotional notes through the score. And it's, uh, it's quite unfortunate that they weren't able to really pull or feel anything emotional. There should have been something happening from that point on. Beckett should have been messed with. He should be like, I don't care. He should be the gunslinger. Look, I'm, I'm trying to do the gun. He should have been the gunslinger going in Kessel, firing off everywhere because he doesn't have a will to live anymore because he just lost the only love of his life and Han should be the one trying to figure things out and protect him because he wants the mentor to be around and he's the one that's trying to grow up in this world real quick because Beckett now is just gunslinging it and he's also trying to save himself and prove himself that he's worthwhile for Beckett to keep around. And I think that would have played off a lot better, would have made some intrigue for what was happening, and I think it also would have set up more of an emotional attachment between the two of them so that later when Beckett betrays him, it has an effect on Han, which it doesn't. And then when Han kills Beckett at the end, it would have had more of an emotional attachment. I just, you know, I think that would have done something more for the film. And it didn't. Um, something along those lines. Or the fact that that happens after Val dies. Later on in the movie. Whatever. Moving forward. She dies. The other thing I had with the Rio thing. One, I like the fact that it Rio dying. Rio should have died there because it set up Han flying. Han flying, though, sets up the fact that Rio's dying and he says, Val's right, kid. You don't want to die alone. Han doesn't want to die alone. Right now, the whole time, all he wants is to be with a girl. That doesn't fit. This doesn't, you're not telling this character anything he doesn't already know or feel. It doesn't work. It doesn't, there's nothing to it. It's just a line where it's like, oh, does it the Han Solo that we know from A New Hope? He wants to be alone and he'll probably... He'll, he'll, he's willing to die alone because remember he's solo. That's what the Empire just told us. He's solo. So he wants to die. He, he's alone. So, hey kid, you don't want to die alone. You better find somebody. Except for the entire movie tells us nothing, but he's just he's chasing after Kira the entire time. So it doesn't work. It works with the Han that we, the, the real Han that we know. It doesn't work with this Han. And that's a problem. And just to cut into the Han thing that some people are going to talk about, like, oh, well, he's a younger, he's different, blah, blah, blah. He hasn't had those tough life. I'm sorry. Uh, he's called a, uh, I was going to say scum rat from Karelia, whose his entire life has been spent trying to steal from everyone 
to be able to pay off some debts to be able to survive and live in an area that's so bad that Dryden lost this big villain of the Crimson Gang, he says that he will respect anybody that comes from there, that it's a terrible place. And at the beginning of the movie, when they're trying to leave, Han and Kira are talking about there can't be anywhere else in the galaxy that can be as bad as that. So his whole life, the worst place ever. He lives in the worst place ever, but he's just, he's cool, man. He's all good. He's not jaded at all. Like, you can't tell me that. Tell me he was raised by a family of royalty, which was kind of what happened in the, well, he wasn't raised by them, but he did come from royalty in the Legends novels. Or something that things were doing well for him, and he just like, you know, he joined in the emperor empire, and he was going through that, and then it was like, eh, I'm bored of this, let me go do, you know, join in with, you know, the pirates and smugglers. And then it's like, oh, life's not that good, life sucks. That's stupid. That would be terrible. My point being, though, that it doesn't work for him to not already be jaded when you're telling me that's his backstory. Pick a kid out of, like, the worst scenario growing up that's 19 that grew up without a family around that's had to, like, you know, sell drugs or steal and, you know, all this stuff to survive that everything's gone rough for him. And at 19... He's just like the happiest guy in the world, but then yet at 29, oh, now things suck. It just doesn't quite work. Like, okay, you might be able to find one person, but story-wise, for the character, it shouldn't be that way. He should already not be that trusting. He should already be a bit more street smart. He should already, you know be a bit more jaded and he's not and it's not if you think that this movie's going to start out with him not jaded and by the end he'll be jaded that doesn't happen it's clearly trying to set up more movies and i don't know if they planned on like oh in the third movie of this trilogy we're setting up then that's where it'll be that he's jaded because it didn't happen in this movie and one of the worst things that happens is at the end of the movie, Kira says to him, and we saw it in the trailers, I'm the only one that truly knows who you are. And he says, what's that? And she says, a good guy. First off, if you've watched the movie, everyone in the movie would only think that he's a good guy. The shock would be to say that you think that he's a scoundrel. Because the whole time, all he's doing is trying to be the good guy. <laughs> That's all it is. It's not hidden. That's that's the worst part of this movie for me, is that it kills a lot of who Han is later. And I don't like it. I don't like that Han is just this, he's the good guy. And what we saw at the beginning of A New Hope was fake. It wasn't that A New Hope was meaningful, that something happened, that he met Luke and he met Leia and he had grown up in the Empire so he didn't like it but he had always stayed away from it. But now with these two people here and he sees this rebellion and something really happening and he wants to leave because that's who he is but it's something meaningful that when he turns around and says, now it's like, oh, that's what you would have expected the whole time because he was always a good guy. That was one of the first things I said when this movie was announced was please do not make him the good guy. But he's the good guy. That's all he is. So now Solo is always the good guy, which screws them up because they want to try to make it out like he was always the bad guy, and that's why he, like, you know, screws up Kylo Ren, and he's a bad father, and, you know, all this stuff with Leia, and he'll just leave Leia and go back to smuggling because he's always just the bad guy. But now you're trying to tell us he's the good guy. 
You can't have it both ways, Disney, you group of idiots. Like, <sighs> but I'm jumping a little bit too far ahead. So they're going through fighting and battling. And of course, Han tries to pull away, which doesn't make any sense because there's four like little mm, speeders trying to pull away. But yet this big ship they stole in the beginning of the movie can't pull four speeders. So then Han has to dump it. If you haven't picked it up, I'll do a video on it probably tomorrow. Uh, basically, this whole movie is just kind of setting up what happens with Han in A New Hope. It's just repeating that story, basically. Um, hence the dumping the cargo that then now he has a debt on his head and has to chase, run off and pay off. But he's going and <laughs> he dumps it. Beck gets angry, but then all is cool. And then they go and meet the Crimson Dawn and Dryden Voss and have to agree. They're like, oh, by the way, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to pay this off. And the terrible music that I already mentioned before, he meets Kira, which I already mentioned before. So, you know, where's that motivation going? Why did we have to have all of that scene beforehand? They don't have anything working well together. At least him and Chewbacca had a, you know, nice little conversation. But they, they're working at this point. And we have some more of those moments where it's almost fourth wall breaking. Where it's just like, really? Where, you know, you might as well have just had Dryden Voss look at the camera and say, man, he's a kind of a scoundrel, isn't he? Where he's like, we're going to need, well, if you're going to pull off this Kessel Run thing, you're going to need a fast ship and a brilliant pilot. And Han's like, yeah, I'm brilliant. I'm a brilliant pilot. And he's like, wow, this guy's arrogant, isn't he? Oh, didn't you say Han Solo's cocky and a scoundrel? Well, that's our Han Solo. Why? Because Dryden Voss says so. And then to leverage into that even further, we had the introduction of Lando, which again, I liked Lando. But then we have Amelia Clark playing Kira that has to walk up and she's like, oh man, this Lando guy, because that's the ship they need. He's attractive. He's stylish. He's got charisma for days. Oh man, he's so amazing. Oh, wow. Awesome. It's just like, oh my God, let the actors speak for themselves. What is this? It's like, it's not like they chose to tell and not show. They're showing and telling. They're doing everything. They're doing everything minus a uh, freaking, uh, what's that terrible movie that DC did? Suicide Squad. Everything short of Suicide Squad where they're having like a card pop up with their own theme music played by Fallout Boy saying what their character is is known for with like oh <laughs> those of you who are fans are going to catch this little reference like it was just say hey i know a guy that's you know the best smuggler around right now and then pop to han i mean han pop to lando just playing cards because this is that was good like those scenes were great it was doing very well I did like that when Han sat down to play with him, he talked, he won the first hand, he was like, ah, oh, beginner's luck. And then he starts to play him. It very much played along the lines of Mind Harp of the Sharu with how Lando would trick and play people, that he would pretend that he was lucky. 
and he would win a few hands, get some money up, and then he would start to lose a little bit, and we kind of skipped through some of that part, but he would start to lose a little bit to make them think that he was really a beginner and win just enough that they wouldn't realize that he's actually a really good player. Um, so I like the way that started, and there's a lot of little Easter eggs and hints throughout this movie, but specifically to Meinharp of Sharu, which you even have basically Lando doing his own audible book, The Chronicles of Lando Carissian, which I thought was, I enjoyed that. Um, there are some good stuff, like that's what I'm saying. This isn't a horrible movie, so if you're thinking that I'm just hating on the movie, I'm not. But it's also not a brilliant movie. It's an enjoyable, fun ride for once. And that's why I said if you're considering boycotting, boycott and watch it on Netflix, and it'll be an enjoyable time because this isn't, this is the bad version of Lucasfilm that I want. Like, when you say, oh, what would be the bad Star Wars movie for me? This would be it. Where I, bad is, I can enjoy it. I can go and watch it. And it's like, oh, man, that wasn't terrible to watch. But in the end, it's like I don't gain anything from it. My Star Wars is something I watch, I enjoy, and it gets better with time. I break it down. There's so many little subtexts and so many little things going on. That ain't happening in this movie. Um... Then you meet the worst character in the movie, L3. Um, she's terrible. Just absolutely awful. She's, you know, the whole time it's just like, oh, why are you doing this? You're just doing this for entertainment. Can't you see that, you know, why are you, you know, fight against your training? Like, okay, for anyone that finds this enjoyable, and this character not the most awful horrific character because you're like oh it's equal rights let's get some more of this political crap shoved down your throats the entire time if you begin to think or talk about like because i read an article where somebody was like finally star wars is stepping up to talk about this injustice burn your computer throw away your phone throw away your microwave your refrigerator your tv anything that has to do with any form of technology because you're doing exactly the same type of enslavement. So I don't want to hear your stupid virtue signaling crap. Get over it. Give me a freaking break. This is terrible. This is a stupid line. This is a stupid storyline that does not belong in Star Wars. It has no me. Like, I get it. It's, all, it's always been there. And you can have her make a little comment here and there that there's one self-aware droid that's like, hey, by the way, what the crap's going on here? But the fact, it's endless. It's Boom. Oh, they don't even serve our kind here. And Lando's like, we need to go. It's like, hey, you know, how do you know I'm going to go to Kessel with you? And he's like, because you're, she's like, oh, because you're my overlord. And it's just, and, and then they're just sitting there talking. He's like, can I get you anything? She's like, equal rights. Like, oh my God. And then she gets there and she starts, you know, oh, how barbaric. Breaks off the thing so that they all start getting free. And then they're just stomping on things, which, which makes no sense. How did the gonk droid thing get on top of the camp? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it's like, oh, I finally found my calling. Thank God she got shot. Thank the maker that she was shot and it was all done with. She was terrible. There was one moment I mentioned that was funny where I th I did like the scenes with her and Kira where she kind of acted like, oh, you know, I think Lando likes me, but I'm not into him. That was fine. Like, I, I, I liked it. It was just like... You know, that I can't perform when someone's watching me. What? It just didn't work. It was it was awful. If you liked it, 
tells you a little bit about yourself. You're probably subscribed to BuzzFeed and Vox. And you're probably like actually, you know, seriously, legitimately talking about like droid rights and stuff like that. Which, as I said, uh, then get rid of anything that has anything to do with technology because you're enslaving robots. You idiot. So annoying. It's, it's the same thing like the capitalism stuff of Canto Bight. That's what happens in Kessel, basically. There's nothing happening there. There's nothing meaningful there. You have a blatantly yelling at the camera about like, oh, equal rights, freedom, rebellion. Not legitimate rebellion, the people, but like, you know, oh, we're freeing droids because, you know, they're, they're people too, even though they're not people. And nothing happens. Nothing's really going on. You're, it runs on for much longer than it needs to run on. It, it's the canto bite of this, you know, movie. And it was just enjoyable once it ended. The one benefit is it did add some emotion with Lando. And it did set up, as I had did a video before, um, that it set up that she ends up being becoming part of the Millennium Falcon. And she's the one that basically allows it to be able to navigate so that they can fly through the maelstrom that allows them to get away. Uh, one other little thing with the ship that I found interesting, the conversation between Han and Lando, one thing they kind of added that I liked is that Han built the YT freighters on Corellia. And so that's kind of part of his connection, why he really wants it later towards the end of the movie, the end of the movie. Lando kind of makes a comment about like, you know, wow, you, you know, you really got a thing for this movie or you for this movie. You really got a thing for the Falcon, don't you? And he, Han's like, it's mutual. Trust me. And again, that's where it's like, it was, it worked. Like I kind of, I bought that. It wasn't as good as Han would do it if you want to pick out every little thing. No, it's not. But it was good enough for me. By that point, when they're working together, it, it was working out well. Um, but it really built the connections of Han with the Falcon and Han and Chewbacca. And I enjoyed both of those. Um, Chewie goes to try to free some Wookiees. The problem with that, like, there's nothing to it again. Like, it couldn't have been his family or something. It was just like, we're going to free Wookiees. And then the Wookiees looked terrible. They, they were sh the shaved face. They looked like the Planet of the Apes from 1960s. It just looked weird. Anytime I saw them, it looked awful. It just didn't work. You had the moments where the dice was being handed off again, where she hits Han, and I was like, oh, she's hitting him, and she's going to give him a key to unlock the thing. But no, she gives him the dice back, and it's like, oh, he's got the dice back now. Yay. Um, it just, what? And then we finally got to see Chewie rip someone's arms off, which I enjoyed. And it had the little funny, you know, kind of funny moment with Han where he was like, yeah, that was, you know, that was only suit to fit me, but sure, well, okay, whatever. That's fine. You know, it was, that was the humor that was like, it's not over the top, it's not, but it worked. And it also worked for how Han would be humorous. He's not trying to be humorous. He's like just making little sarcastic quips. And for that, it worked. When they're leaving, her death again, Lando's struggling with it. And there was a nice, you know, you felt the emotion of that. You felt the emotion. Lando cared for L3 
an annoying droid that at least the benefit for the movie, I will say this, despite having the worst character, I mean, I would I would rather have Jar Jar. It's equal to Jar Jar in my mind. If when they just pop up, it's like, oh my God, okay, here we go on this. Let's take away from what's happening with the story now. Ugh. It's just, you know, ugh. it's like at least Jar Jar was pandering to kids. This is pandering to people that are going to like try to strike my video down or like dislike it or make stupid comments that people made for The Last Jedi where they're like, it's a great movie because it's political. Yeah, and you're an idiot. <sighs> Anyways, moving forward. That was really the only parts, but the, the one benefit was when it happened, even like the characters all around were all like rolling their eyes. So at least there's like, they're at least admitting like, yeah, we're annoying. Even if they don't realize that's what they're doing. You're all annoying. So then moving forward, when they're flying away, you have more emotional connection to L3 and Lando than you had with Beckett and Val, who apparently he's loved forever. But when they're flying away, why did you have to have the Empire showed up? I kind of like the fact that there, this was a small, toned-down kind of heist thing that no one else, there's, there's no empire. There's nothing else happening here. Why did you need the empire there? Because you already had a reason for him to go through the Maelstrom and fly through there. Because the coaxium is going, if they don't get it refined quick enough, it's going to blow up. So they've got to go faster. And you've already set that up. So you already have a reason for him to cut through there to make the Kessel run in, you know, 12 parsecs. So why did you have to have all of a sudden the Empire's here? Oh no. Why? It just did it wasn't necessary. So then they run through the Maelstrom. And that's when they start trying to set up the some of the coaxium to be able to allow them to fly faster, as well as set up L3 in there to be able to navigate and get along with what's going to happen, which I do love to think. She's forever enslaved in the Falcon now. That's the one great benefit. She's all about freedom. She created herself. She made it where she's not enslaved, but now you're stuck on a ship. That makes me happy. I love that. It just hit me. That's great. So they're flying in every piece of the Falcon that needs to go to be able to make up for where it's like it was in A New Hope begins to happen. The gun gets broken off because it's not the same gun. You know, the uh, the desk on top, my mind's blanking, gets sh shot off. And then the part that just doesn't make sense to me. They wanted to add more character into it, so they have this monster that begins to chase them. That kind of reminded me of a Phantom Menace when they're trying to get away, and there's, the, there's always a bigger fish moment. And as they're trying to get away... Han decides to head towards the gravity well, which doesn't make sense to me because his mind says that first, so he shoots the escape pod off and the monster goes after the escape pod. Now it's just me, but if I'm chasing something to eat it because I'm hungry, which only happens like twice a day, I'm going to go for the bigger thing. Especially a ginormous monster. It's not like they looked at the Falcon and they were like, oh, that's going to fill me up. Let me go for the escape pod. But he shoots it off and the monster just follows after the escape pod. And he's like, that's why I did it. Like, as if it was a genius idea. No, it was stupid. Like, any normal monster <laughs> would continue chasing the Falcon. Then, 
The Falcon's trying to pull away. He wants to go to the gravity well to be able to get away from the monster. He's going to trick it. But yet, you're getting closer to the gravity well, and you're unable... You're able to pull away, but the monster's not. Now, we've seen that the monster's right behind the Falcon. So they're able to run the same speed. The monster is actually catching up to it. And the monster is larger. You would think that the gravity well pulling everything in would be able to pull a smaller object moving at the same speed than a bigger object moving at that same speed. To me, that would make sense. But instead, it doesn't. And everything kind of works out. And you have the same scene where it works where he kind of makes the cut and turns it like he did at the beginning of the movie. And he's able to get out. I did like the fact that she thought it was going to work and it kind of died off and started to fall. And then it catches up at the end and flies away. I thought that was pretty cool. It's fitting for the Falcon and how it's always going to go. So then they get there and there's a good little back and forth with him and Lando. And then we have the conversation with Kira that I already brought up before that just bothers me where she's like, you know, you're a good guy, Solo. One thing I said I'll bring him up, and I forgot this, that earlier in the when they were on Kessel, you had two moments where it's like, again, they're just like commentating to the audience. Like, oh, by the way, we didn't do any, we didn't write this well enough for you to just see it on your own. We got to tell you like, oh, this is cool, by the way, where they go and, Kira like takes down one of the Pike members and L3's like, wow, that was awesome. Where did you learn that before? And then Han moves in and he goes and kicks the guy in the nuts and takes him down. And uh, Beckett's like, wow, that was impressive. It's like, oh my Lord. Like, are you trying to just be Deadpool or something? Like what, what is this? I don't, I don't get this. This doesn't work. This is not... So here yet again, it's like, oh, I'm going to tell you what no one else will know. You're actually a good guy. No, everyone knows. That's all you see. That, that's all there is that he's a good guy. The shock would be if anyone thought that he was actually a scoundrel. So that's stupid. And then we get to the other stupid part where it was like Disney, because they think everyone that watches Star Wars is racist and sexist, they thought they had the biggest twist ever. Like they're like, we're going to do this. And when we do this, this is going to be up there for history in the twist ending that tops Empire Strikes Back. Where we're just going to, you, you guys are marauders. You're terrible. And then all of a sudden they take the helmet off and it's a girl. And everyone looks at each other and they're like, oh, it's a girl in a helmet and she's the bad guy. No woman would ever do this. Oh my gosh, you're telling us such shocking things. And like, if you think I'm lying, watch it again. It's take helmet off, pause, pull back. Han looks over at Chewie. They look at each other. They look at Kira. They look at Vex. And it goes back to it. It's paused again. And then finally it walks. Like, there's a long pause of like everyone reaction of like, oh my. The most shocking thing they could have ever done in this movie is have made that to be a man. <laughs> That was the least shocking thing that I ever did. Like, this wasn't shocking. It wasn't. You're just idiots, Disney, that think that people look at this and are, are blown away. Like, no, that's why people like me and a lot of other Star Wars fans 
when you made the comment was like Orisine was killed. I was like, why are we getting Orisine anymore? She was an awesome bounty hunter who was female. When the big cameo comes up a little bit later and you say that like, oh, Darth Maul's heading to Dathmere. I'm like, ah, oh, why can't they still be alive? Because the Dathmerian witches are some of the coolest characters, all female villains. It's only you, Disney, that are so terrible with villains that you create these villains that like, oh, because they're female, it makes them mean anything or matter at all when it doesn't. You're the only one that sees these stupid identities like as if that matters. It doesn't. The character being cool is what mattered. And so it was just this shock moment that it just showed how stupid Disney is. They're like, everyone in the movie's looking around, but like the, the audience watching, it's like, yeah, okay. How about we get to something happening with this movie? So basically they reversed the Cloud Rider gang. If you've read the comics, which I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't, it's not really worth reading. Um, for the Cloud Rider gang. It's back in this, like 1977 or 78 was when this comic was one of the earliest comics to come out. And Han goes on a tr mission and he ends up kind of getting stuck on this planet. He's trying to make money again. Uh, he had money to pay off Jabba from A New Hope and it gets stolen from him by some pirates. And so he's trying to make money again and he helps out this village that are being kind of mistreated by the Cloud Rider gang that show up. And so essentially what Infus Nest tells the story of what happens, it's the opposite. They flipped around. And now the Cloud Rider gang's the group that's helping them out. That they're they're the good guys. Which, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like a waste. Like, there's not really any villains in this movie. The, the, the movie doesn't go Marvel with the humor, but it goes Marvel with the villains. The villains are just kind of like, yeah. Like Dryden Voss, eh, okay, whatever. Infus Nest, like, eh. It's just, it was trying to do some shocks. And then third act, which I don't like, it sets up many of the issues with Han Solo, uh, and it it tries to shock you at every turn, and it just doesn't work. None of them work. They're all seen a million miles away. You got Infus Ness as a girl. Oh, wow, that's so shocking. You got Tobias Beckett turns on them. Oh, my God, that's so shocking. You got Kira decides not to kill Solo to try to kill Dryden Voss. Oh, I never saw that coming. Oh, Kira doesn't go with Han, and she ends up leaving him. Like, oh, my God. Oh, just it's not shocking <laughs> at all and people talk about like in the end really picked up I'm like you don't you weren't paying any bit of attention if you were surprised by anything that happened in that movie so then they go and they decide to trick it and they're gonna solo being a good guy because he's a good guy again Kira says no one will know but yet he's doing he's always being the good guy that's like saying no one would realize that Superman's a good guy like, so they tried to make him like Superman in this, and I just don't like it. So he goes to help. Becca decides he's going to leave, and you know he's going to show up later. And so they go to take the Coaxium to Dryden, and they're going to trick him because they want to give it to the Cloud Rider Gang because the Cloud Rider Gang's the good guys now. Shocker. And um, so then when that happens, he's talking to Dryden, and Dryden's been informed by Beckett that this isn't really what it is, that they're trying to trick you. And so he set his army because Dryden, uh, the whole time Beckett's been him, he's got a whole army. He's got this huge yacht with many, many stories. It's like the Empire State Building. And he's got his own private army. And he's got goons and he'll send them after you. And he's dangerous. 
And so that's why Becca was like, I'm leaving you, Han. I'm not helping you because there's so many people and there's no way that the Cloud Rider gang can fight them off, even with us. There's no way. And so then he sends 10 people to go stop them. And of course, they're defeated. But then there's like five people in the ship with Dryden to protect them. Like, where's this army at? Because you talk about the army, the whole, just don't talk about the army. Just don't build it up as this huge big thing when nothing's going to be paid off about it. Nothing happens about it. There's no army. There's no one around. And then it just kind of goes into this thing where it's shock, 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 shock. And it just doesn't really work ever. So they end up leaving. And Han's trying to get Kira to leave. And she's like, I, you go ahead, I'll come. I, I, I'm going to grab these gems first. Which is like the stupidest thing. You couldn't come up with something better. Like any normal guy that's ready to try to leave with his girl would just be like, all right, cool. Walk over there, slide a hand like, let me get a handful or two as well in my pockets. All right, let's go. But no, Han just like, okay, I'm going to leave. And then you have this setup from the beginning of the movie. That's just the worst payoff ever where earlier she was talking to him and she was like, when I think, I used to always think about you out on your adventures and I... And then she just paused. And then there was like this pause for a second. For like, there was no reason for her to pause. It wasn't like Dryden Voss walked up and broke up the conversation. There was this pause. Like she couldn't tell him what it was yet. And then Dryden Voss shows up. And then now she found out. I was going to tell you earlier. When I think of the adventures y'all have. I smile. Oh my God. Oh. <sighs> The best payoff the movie could have had is when the cameo pops up next with Kira talking to Darth Maul. If she would, if he would have done like he did in the Clone Wars with Black Sun in them, and he just would have thrown his lightsaber. I know he couldn't do it because it's a hologram, but if he would have thrown it and just cut her head off, and then that, like that, would have been the ending. I would have been, I, I would have been standing up cheering. Yes, but we couldn't have it. So, but anyways, yeah, that just it did like, oh man, wow, she smiled. That's so amazing. So, okay, the army, he, he sends his army, which is 10 people. So why is there this big army that everyone talks about? He gets killed. Everyone just walks away. And Kira just is like, eh, I'm the captain now. <laughs> I always think about uh, that movie with Tom Hanks. I can't think of it now. But yeah, I'm the captain now. Uh, he just goes out and tries... She calls Darth Maul and she's like, yeah, I'm the leader now. And she just takes the ship and flies away. Like, no one, like, this is a huge syndicate. And he's dead and no one's like, yeah, uh, I'd like to challenge you for that spot. Because then I own this ship. Because I think I can beat you, girl. Like, I would be. I'd be all over that. <laughs> I mean, and then the other thing that just doesn't work is Darth Maul says, you know, <clears throat> she says, I'm the only one that survived when she's talking to Darth Maul. And Darth Maul's like, no one person could have done this. And she was like, well, I wasn't there, so I don't know. You, you just said you're the only one that survived it, and now you're saying you weren't there. It can't be both. And so, again, it just... And then, so, she leaves. And Han, having just shot Tobias Beckett, I mean, just being traded on by him, sees her just flying away, and it's like, oh, shucks. Ah, oh, gee willikers. Like, 
there's nothing to it. It's just that's what I mean. It's like if you don't if you don't think and you just you just watch the movie, it's like, oh, that was kind of enjoyable. Oh, you think about the cameo happening right there and you're like, oh, that that's a cool cameo. And then as before you figure out like that was dumb, all that was said there and makes no sense. And why is she the leader now? Why does she all of a sudden have the ship and she can just fly it away and take it on her own? Where is the army that's happening there? Wait a minute, what why is Han not caring because immediately it hops and they're going to have him and Lando playing Sabacc again. And you finally had the final moment, which I actually, I did enjoy that. That was one where I thought they did very well of explaining kind of what we've had in mind of did he cheat? Did he not cheat? You had half the people that were like, if Han cheated to win the Falcon, I'm going to be angry. And you had the other half that's like, Han definitely cheated. It needs to be, it needs to fit with his character. So it was brilliantly done where they played the first time and Lando cheated and Han figured out that he cheated, which being someone that used to play poker a lot, I definitely understood. Like I enjoyed the aspect of him explaining how he knew that he, there's no way he could have that card because you know, if, if you're playing poker and you're playing it in any form of, with any form of skill and not just gambling randomly, you, you count the cards. You understand how many cards have been played in a hand as it's going on, and you realize the percentages of what like what's likely to pop up. And you would understand if, you know, for instance, four of the same cards have been played while you are going before a new deck's been brought in, and you would understand, okay, there's no chance that a king's going to pop up here. And so that's essentially what happened with Lando. So he knew that he was cheating. So when they next go to uh, go against each other they fake the angry which kind of is again there's a lot of references I didn't go through the references I'll probably go through the references in another video so if you're wondering like you haven't mentioned all these hundreds of references they made I'll do it in another video but this is kind of a reference to the the Han and Lando thing from Empire Strikes Back but there Han uses it and plays the thing to be able to pull the card and steal the card from Lando so later he knows what Lando is going to be expecting and he can play the hand out and then use the card that Lando was going to have. And he can be like, you know, oh, I won fair and square. So it's like he cheated, but he didn't really cheat. Like he only cheated because Lando cheated before and he would have beat him and had the ship to begin with. But he didn't because Lando cheated. So I just thought, I thought it was brilliant. Because he's just sitting there like, oh, fair and square, fair and square. I thought that was done brilliantly. Again, there are some shining moments. In this movie, when you think about it, you will remember some really good points. And that's what a lot of people are going to focus on. And that's fine. I'm not telling you to hate it or dislike it. But when you break it down and you're trying to look at the movie, it falls short in many ways. There's a lot of lazy writing in here. There's a lot of unnecessary things happening. There's a lot of failed character development. There's a lot of characters, the way that they're told to be, not acting the way they should be. The biggest issue I have is Han being too good of a guy. It just screws up the way that the character is supposed to be going forward. Um, they try to set it up as if it's like, foreshadowing his heroicism in A New Hope, but really all it does is just undermine it and ruin it. And that's my biggest problem with the movie is how that, if you watch this in order of canon timeline with Disney included with the Lucas timeline, you're not, it, it ruins A New Hope. But if you don't allow it to ruin hope and you don't think deeper about it, then it's just a fun adventure film with Solo, Chewie, and Han. Um, I don't know if it says a lot about Disney. It does say a lot about Disney that the fact that that exists and I'm not super angry about it. Um, 
is maybe just my expectations being so incredibly low, but I don't know. Maybe it's I haven't seen it enough because I'm not trying to, you know, really help out Disney with the finances, which speaking of, came out to 14.1 million for the Thursday night showing, which the closest estimate I could really find is recently Thor Ragnarok did 14.5 million on Thursday, which is funny, we did less than Thor Ragnarok, which Thor was not a big property really heading into that point, even though they the prior advertising had kind of promoted it fairly well. Thor Ragnarok ended up doing 122 million over the first weekend, which means you can kind of estimate that most likely this movie's going to do 120 million in the opening box office. When I was asked before, I kind of mentioned that I thought it would do between 120 and 150 million, which is a wide thing, so it's not like I'm a genius for guessing that right, but I said if it got down to 120 million, that would tell a huge story of people's reactions and true feelings after the last Jedi. Like to me, even though it's 120 million, it's a big number. That to me seems like a lot of people boycotted and did not like this film. If it makes or did not like the last Jedi and it's a show of the last Jedi. A lot of people are trying to say, is this fatigue? It's not, it's people being angry about the last Jedi. And if it goes down to 120 million, then that tells a lot because rogue one that had no characters that we even knew in it, that were following a story that no one really wanted before now ends up beating by a heavy margin solo for opening weekend in the summer. That's a problem. <laughs> you know, you got issues happening there, which probably means it'll come out to about, I would guess, around 800 to 850 million overall, which again is going to be the lowest. You did a solo movie that didn't crack a billion dollars. That's an issue. Uh, I think I kind of covered everything though. Um, I'm sure I missed a lot. I just kind of ranted on and talked about all of my feelings and stuff. I will break down further and further with videos kind of daily going forward like I did with The Last Jedi. Um, I'll also be going through the new book that just came out, which is Most Wanted, although I hate the thought of going through that because it's about Kira and Han. But I'll also be going through Paradise Snare and Mind Harp of the Sharu, the Legends novels as well. I, I started doing it and I stopped because I realized that this movie is going to be going over the same time period and it's going to be discussing a lot of, there's a lot of Easter eggs to it, which were kind of cool. So we'll go through it now. Uh, if you want to, I'll be going through it. And uh, also every, I do have an Apple podcast now for those of you. I've had a few people that's asked about it because my videos tend to be a little bit longer like this one will be. Um, if you prefer to listen to it on a podcast, I do have the podcast. I have a link down below. Um, I believe, <laughs> I think I know where the link, how to find the link. I just got it up. But uh, if not, you can just search it on my Apple Podcasts and just type in Carbonite Chat and it'll be there. And also I'll have a link to my T Public page down below if you like any of the shirt designs that I have. Um, I've got a few and that'll be absolutely awesome. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and opinions on the movie down below. And if there's any questions or thoughts about certain things for me to do as a video to talk further on the topics of this movie, I've got a few that I kind of got in mind, but uh, I would love to hear your opinions. I look forward to discussing it and getting some of y'all other people's thoughts as well. I haven't really watched any videos or anything since this movie's been out. So I don't know as much about other people's feelings. I've heard my brother told me that it's like 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but I look forward to hearing it. I look forward to those of you who have watched it and finding out those of you who are not watching it. 
But this has been long enough, and I'll be doing some more videos coming up shortly on the topic. So as far as that goes, thank you very much for watching, and never forget you nerf herders. I love you.